0: it's good to be here. Um we're going to be going through uh the book of Acts. So we're going to continue our study in Acts chapter 15 this morning. Uh before we do though, just want to go over a few announcements with you. Um we have something coming up this coming Sunday, so a week from today, we're going to have a youth parent meeting uh, starting at 6:30. So uh so parents come at 6:30. Uh uh both Chad and Jamie are going to be covering uh, different things as far as our youth um, are concerned. Um, that's, I believe, important for you to to listen to and to um, be informed of. Uh, soon after that, at 7 p.m., so 6.30 to 7 p.m. is going to be a parent meeting. And then at 7 p.m., there's going to be a pr- presentation. And the title of that presentation is Digital Cocaine. And that has to do with... Uh, social media, internet and just everything that we have pretty much at our fingertips. And so I think I believe that that is um good to uh to know about not only our kids, but uh I don't know about you, but uh that thing can really grab your attention. Can't it? Like uh if you start uh, taking a look at uh like, let's say, for instance, Facebook, and you start just browsing through there, and you're like, oh, I want to comment on that. I want to comment on that. Oh, I want to post my own thing, so on and so forth. Pretty soon you find yourself, uh, you know, inundated, engrossed in, uh, in in that social media platform, you know, for an extended period of time. So it can really be addicting. It really can. If you post something, um, you know, there there are... Some people, right? I'll say others, not myself, <laughs> right? <clears> that go on there, and uh, you know, you, you want to see, you know, is it like I posted something. I wonder if there's, you know, I wonder if anyone's commented, you know, like my post, you know, agreed, not disagreed. You know, don't post anything in disagreement because then I'll, I'll, I'll cens- censure you, I'll, I'll remove you, I'll cancel you, right? That's cancel culture, right? um nonsense but uh but you know we we get into that don't we i well okay just me (laughs) so i'm going to come to this and i'm going to learn what it means uh, to you know and the effects of social media and uh, the internet and the thing and the way in which we can handle these things in a way that that really is productive Uh, but there's some warnings Um, we got to be very careful with our kids and so anyway that's this coming sunday a week from today at 6 30 is the parent meeting and then 7 p.m is the presentation and uh so we have that uh we also have the hands and feet food box delivery this coming saturday august 8th at 8 30 a.m and so if you if you haven't gone uh and participated in this ministry i encourage you to do so if you have any questions you can see me afterwards and i'll um uh definitely cover any questions that you have um if you haven't gone out. So that's this coming Saturday, August 8th at 8.30. And this uh, Wednesday, we're going to have a barbecue, hot dogs and hamburgers. So uh, come on out Wednesday evening. We'll continue going through the book of 2 Samuel, and we'll have hot dogs and hamburgers afterwards uh, out back uh, under the canopies, and uh, we'll have a great time there. So anyway, we have that going on and uh, so Stephen asked, "What else can come?" You know, we've come into August, and um, so I just want to let you know uh, what can come. We have rabid bats. I don't know if anyone has heard, but we have rabid bats that are in uh, in the, the Inland Empire. They've been found, and so just in case you want to know, you know. And then a, a fire going on in uh, in Cherry Valley, right in the Oakland. Uh, Oakland area, um, so make sure that uh, you know you pray for for everyone out there, for the safety of our first responders also, and all that. But uh, you know th- that isn't something that's uncommon, though. You know, as far as the fire is, you know the the you know rabid animals that that's been around. That's nothing new. But um, 2020 has definitely been been interesting to say the least. And but we we continue to come back to the Lord. We need to do that. We need to be reminded of, of, of our hope, of our strength, um, the, the glory that awaits us, that, um, you know, we need to live this life with purpose. Uh, we can get really down. We can get depressed if we, if we turn on the news for uh, any extended period of time. Uh, you, know, pay, you know, go on social media for an extended period of time. It's like all these different opinions and views and, you know, arguments and divisions and all of that. But let me tell you that our hope, you need to put your nose in the book more than you do in Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or anything else. Um, This is the very place where you're going to get some some good, solid direction. Um, You're going to be reminded of your purpose in the plans that God has for you, Uh, because in Christ we have hope. Uh, There is no despondency. And so, um, so we need to go time and time again every day back to the word of God and be reminded of what we have in Christ. So this morning we continue our study through the book of Acts. We're going to cover the first 11 verses of this chapter. And so let's start out with a word of prayer and we'll read. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us. I ask your blessing upon this time of study and that you would speak to us. May your Holy Spirit give us understanding, teaching us all things and leading us in all truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So salvation and disputes is what we're going to cover. Not only this morning, but a week from today, we'll, we'll wrap up this chapter. But we see some disputes at the very beginning of this chapter. And uh, and then we see some dialogue, some debate ha- happen within the church uh, because of false doctrine that had crept in and the things that were, they were, that were being required of the new believers uh, within the church for salvation. And so really the, the one issue in our lives that is critical for us to conclude is salvation, the issue of salvation. From there we begin to learn what that looks like, what it means, and how it is that we are to walk out to salvation with fear and trembling. And, and what fear and trembling actually means, you know, the reverence of the Lord and also the, the fear. You know, we don't want to be disciplined. Uh, we want to experience the love and the acceptance and the and the communion and fellowship of the Lord. Uh, I don't know of any child or anyone who would rather have the discipline of a father over His love and just uh, good fellowship. And so, uh, you know, the salvation, what it means, what it looks like, what it means to walk with the Lord, uh, we need to have that resolved in our lives. But salvation, and then we have disputes. Number one, we'll have at the very beginning of this chapter, we deal with the dispute, the dispute of salvation. And really to conclude, how is it that one ought to conduct himself once that person is saved? What's required? And uh, then, towards the end of this chapter, at the very final portion of this chapter, there's this dispute between Paul and Barnabas over uh, someone by the name of John, who is called Mark. So we'll call him John Mark. And how it was that they are to deal with them because Barnabas wanted him to go with them on their second missionary trip, journey. And, uh, and Paul was saying, no, he's deserted us. And so we'll see how it is that they handle that situation as well. But salvation and dispute. So Paul and Barnabas had finished their first missionary trip. They had returned to Antioch in Syria and had been there for some time as we finished off chapter 14. And they were enjoying their fellowship with the brethren. Let's uh, go ahead and, and read beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the, con- the conversion of the Gentiles Even though they were in Antioch of Syria and they were enjoying their time of fellowship with the other brothers, trouble came. Trouble came to Syria in the form of these uh, what were known as Judaizers. And they were legalists. They, They were really putting upon the new believers a burden that they themselves could not carry. They could not keep the law of God. And so they believed that the new believers, the Gentiles, had to observe the law of Moses. Some said that they did, and others didn't have to observe the law of Moses. Well, which one is it? It, There had to be some conclusion to this. But this was not an issue of just opinion. This was not something to where, okay, let's do this uh, and continue in the law of Moses after we've come to salvation just because we believe it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful celebration, it's a completion, it's, it's, a, it's a symbolic gesture of what has been uh, completed in Christ Jesus. But rather, they were saying it's, it, it matters for salvation. They were saying this must be done in order for them to be saved, to be right with God. And so this is not an issue that anyone can agree to disagree on. It was a major issue then, and it had to be resolved, and they did. Now, I'm reminded of the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus wanted to know, how does one come to know eternal life, salvation? And so they had this conversation, Jesus explaining to Nicodemus, a teacher of the people, how to come to know salvation. Peter, in Acts chapter 10, had a vision. And in fact, he will indirectly refer to this vision that he had in Joppa, seeing the heavens open up and he saw a sheet with all kinds of animals, reptiles and birds coming down on it and heard a voice from heaven telling him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. He heard this three times and three times he rejected that, saying, no, 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 it may it be far from me. I, I've never eating some, eaten something that is not clean. And so he came to realize that the Lord was not referring to food, but he was referring to people, to Gentiles. As soon thereafter, there came some men of Cornelius to come for Peter and then take the gospel of Jesus Christ to him and his household. Never did the Lord tell Nicodemus or Peter that they are saved or made clean by any works, but are saved by God's grace through believing in Jesus Christ. Peter demonstrated he understood this by declaring that salvation had come to the house of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and received by belief in Jesus Christ. Not works, but by belief having been forgiven of his sins through the name of Jesus Christ. And so we see a dispute arise. The proper way to handle it in different ways in which both Jews and Gentiles, being in separate camps but at the same time coming together united in Jesus Christ by confessing the one and only Jesus Christ who can forgive us of our sins, and put us in that place of being right before the Father. So, two things we're going to cover this morning, and partially the judgment according to Scripture, but the issue of salvation and then judgment according to Scripture. These first five verses uh, deal with the initial introduction of of a dispute, uh, uh, the issue of salvation. We know that if the devil cannot stop a person from being saved, and he will try and try again... He will continue his work to make him that person, him or her, ineffective, compromising their faith, being distracted, being overwhelmed, being deceived in one way or many ways. It really doesn't matter to the devil as long as he deems you ineffective in some way, shape, or form. But his initial work is to completely destroy you, to keep you in that place of condemnation. To steal the very seed that has been given to you. That is the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know how many people I know that have heard the gospel over and over and over again. And just don't come to salvation. The moment that seed falls, it's as if they allow Satan to come and snatch it away and steal it from them. And so they remain in their condemnation. But we know that Jesus, Jesus is is the one who sows the seed. In his desires that none should perish, that all should come to repentance, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We also know that the devil wants to sow division. He wants to sow division, and he wants to sow discord within the church. And if he can get the leadership to divide, argue, and become spiritually lazy, then it will weaken and eventually crumble the very foundation upon which that church is built. Why? Because we've negated, we've neglected, we've rejected the foundation of Jesus Christ. And therefore, do not stand united on that very rock. And you know what? The rest of the church will follow. If, if the devil can get the leadership to divide, the leadership to go in separate ways, then that local fellowship will crumble. Well, in Paul's day, it wasn't any different. We just read those first, first five verses. It's, it was no different then. It's no different today. There were Judaizers that came to Antioch from Judea and they were teaching the Christians that in order to be saved, they must be circumcised according to the law of Moses. But they wanted much more than this from the new converts. The circumcision was only the beginning. The rest of the law followed, requiring them to observe all of the Jewish observances, uh, celebrations, according to the law. So it started there, but hey, let's go through everything. And uh, and let's require them to observe it along with us. Now there's the Old Testament scripture that we can go to as far as those who came into the household of uh, an Israelite, how it was that they were to observe everything that they did. But we're not dealing with the Old Covenant, we're dealing with the New Covenant. That's something to keep in mind. Let's uh, Let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 13, in verses 38 and 39, which is, you may not have to turn, it's just couple chapters back, but Acts chapter 13 verses 38 and 39. Th- this is what the Apostle Paul was teaching. It says in verse 38, "'Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed or justified from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses.'" And so this very teaching that the Judaizers were teaching, having come from Judea and Samaria and came to Antioch in Syria, was undermining the very work that the Apostle Paul had committed to and performed in the Gentiles. They were teaching something different. These men were undermining the very work of salvation and God's grace. What Paul and Barnabas had taught the Gentiles. No one will be made right because of what they do. No one. That should be a relief to all of us. We will not be made right by, by anything that we can do. No work, no human efforts, no uh, philanthropy that we can participate in. No gestures towards the poor or the orphans or the widowed. None of that will earn us salvation. We cannot be made right with the Father... By our works. Only on the basis of what Jesus has done on the cross. His finished work. As I said earlier, this is not an issue that can be left alone or that we can agree to disagree on. It's an important issue that has to do with salvation. And it has to be resolved and concluded. What we see here in these first five verses is false doctrine entering the church. That's the one thing that we see with these Judaizers coming in and and teaching what they were teaching. It was not in line with the New Testament, with the new covenant that we have come to know in Jesus Christ. And this caused a strong doctrinal dispute within the church. And so we need to, again, realize, we need to understand Satan's intentions. John 10.10. these are Satan's intentions. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. First Peter five eight, Peter writes, "Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour." In John chapter eight verse forty four, Jesus speaking says, "The devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him." When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan lies. He cheats. He deceives. He distracts from the truth. And eventually, his desire is to destroy and kill What does he enjoy killing? Individual lives and the church. Anything that has to do with God, he is opposed to. So Paul and Barnabas had a strong dispute with these men who were teaching false doctrine. But you could say this was the devil's doctrine. This is not. See, sometimes we look at doctrine and we we look at these matters and we think, you know, okay, you know, why do we need to really read and study the Word of God for this very reason, like what we're going over this morning, so that we would meet, not, not be duped, fooled into believing something that we're ignorant of. We should we should know the Word of God that way. We're not fooled. We see. Something false coming our way, like, like someone requiring of you? Yes, salvation comes to you through X, Y, and Z. It's like if you follow these steps, one, two, and three, then you will know salvation. It's like, no, it's simply, it's simply by belief in Jesus Christ. Now, evidence of salvation, we can talk about evidence of salvation. There is the fruit of the Spirit. There is a way to test whether you are genuine or not. That's another matter. But as far as salvation itself is concerned, it comes through a surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. From there, there should should be evidence of that salvation in your life, and the Bible speaks of that. But this is is a confrontation. This is an opposition to the very work of salvation. And so this this is the devil's work. This is Satan's Uh, desire is to kill and destroy you, to keep you in sin, therefore lead you down a road of condemnation to remain there. And so there was a strong dispute. Paul and Barnabas Barnabas were not going to leave it alone. They disputed with these men who were teaching false doctrine, and the church there decided, hey, you know what? It's best to send Paul and Barnabas and some others to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, to seek out the counsel of the elders and uh, and the apostles there in Jerusalem, uh, and, and really come to conclude what it is that we we ought to be teaching here. Well, they left. They left Antioch, and uh, they came across some Christians on the way, and they were telling them what what God had done in them and through them, and, and they rejoiced. At the saving work of the Lord among the Gentiles, well, as they were received by the church in Jerusalem, and they told them all that God had done with them, uh, we come across. Uh, you can just imagine Paul and Barnabas. You know, they all, all they were doing was given a report of what God had done in their lives. Having gone on their first missionary trip, they they came back. They went to Antioch in Syria, back to headquarters, home base. But from there were sent to Jerusalem. So they had yet to hear about everything that had taken place with Paul and Barnabas. And they wanted to tell them everything. So that's what they were doing. They were telling them everything that had taken place in their first missionary trip. And at that time, we have some of those false teachers. Really, the Pharisees. They had actually been in, on the same page with the Judaizers, and they also believed that the Gentiles had to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses in order to be saved. And so for Paul and Barnabas, I'm sure at that point they're like, well, you know, what? we were talking about everything that the Lord had done through us. And, and so many people come to salvation, so many Gentiles. But that's what we came for. Actually, to address that very issue that you brought up. Now, keep in mind, though, that these Pharisees, these were, these were uh, men who were given to follow the law of Moses to a T. And so they were very religious men. It's very tough for someone who is very religious to come to understand and walk in God's grace and not feel compelled to follow the law of God. And so it's a process, just as it is for the Gentile to understand that, hey, listen, it's not Jesus plus, or maybe all the other gods and idols plus Jesus, you know, to make me whole. Just as it, That's a problem for Gentiles. It's a problem for those who are very religious to come to the understanding to where it, it, it's not the law that justifies this. It's not the law that... That saves us. And so that's a work of sanctification, though, of of the Lord. He brings them through that. Perhaps you've uh, experienced that with with family, friends, co-workers, people who have a really tough time coming from a a very strict religious background to understanding what God's grace truly is. Well, there was this party of the Pharisees, but they were believers. It says here in verse 5, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up, and and so they were believers, but they had come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, surrendering their hearts to Christ. Uh, but they were they, they came from that party from the, from the Pharisaical party. So, but they they agreed with the Judaizers that the Gentiles must be circumcised and observe the law of Moses in order to be saved. Well. Again, that's precisely why Paul and Barnabas had come to Jerusalem to settle the issue of salvation. So far, Paul and Barnabas traveled great distances to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've read through that. We've studied those, those, uh, those chapters, and they, they exposed themselves to much danger. And we can only imagine what they went through. And it was all for the sake of seeing people come to salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But now they're traveling a great distance. To bring an issue before the Jerusalem Council, before the apostles and the elders there. To settle and ensure that the church was united on how one is saved and what one must do after he is saved. On the one hand, you have Judaizers who were saying that they were willing to accept the Gentile believers, but they had to observe the law. To be accepted as true believers and a part of God's people. On the other hand, you have Gentiles who had initially thought that they could just, again, as I said earlier, add Jesus to their list of gods to help them be right with God. And the question before we go on is, is this issue of salvation settled in your own heart? If not, why? And if so, how is it evident? Just think about those questions. Is the issue of salvation really truly settled in your heart? If not, then why not? Why not? and if so, then you should really consider the evidence of that salvation in your life. What is that evidence and we 're not talking about once and for all you know um, one of the the things uh, the uh, subjects that sometimes I find my, find myself um, talking about with, with others, is the subject of backsliding. You know, we often think about, about a backslider um, as one who is a prodigal son or daughter. You know that it's obvious that they have walked away from the Lord. But did you know that you can be a prodigal or be in a backslidden stage and be sitting right here Sunday, 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 Wednesday? Why? Because a back. You're on a slope. Let's just put it this way. You're on a slope. And in order to advance, you have to keep those feet moving to advance. Anytime you sit still, you think you're sitting still, but you're actually gravity. The, the nature of the flesh, the world, and Satan is drawing you back further. You cannot be stagnant in Christianity. You cannot. You, need to, you have to be engaged. And I've seen that in my own life. You have to be engaged. You have to be in God's Word. You need to be in fellowship. You need to be in prayer. Otherwise, you're slowly drifting backwards. You're becoming lukewarm. And at a certain point, you wonder why it is that you have no desire for the things of the Lord. That's why we have to settle this dispute within our own hearts. Have we settled the issue of salvation? Are we standing with Christ? Are we abiding in Christ? Or are we just hmm, kind of indifferent toward Him? We're going to talk about salvation at the very conclusion, more at the very conclusion of the message. But let's move on. Verse 6. says, The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. (laughs) what a strong word from Peter brief and to the point. But they knew exactly what Peter was saying. It was just powerful. It was just like right there. I love that. Peter, the very one who had denied Jesus three times, the one who had been restored by Jesus, is now just declaring truth. And he's saying, hey, listen, this is the truth. This is what really matters. And this is judgment. This is, this is um, looking at the issue through the eyes of the very word of God and therefore having a godly biblical heavenly perspective judgment according to scripture well the apostles and elders took this issue very seriously they took it under consideration and they discussed it they were willing to debate for it says here for an extended period of time this is this isn't something that was just quickly resolved this is something that for them they went back and forth and considered all kinds of different verses perhaps in the bible and they spoke about it, they talked about it, they worked it out. But ultimately, Scripture had to be the basis of judgment and not human opinion or human philosophy or human tradition or experience. It had to go back to Scripture. You know, I, I've had people ask me, you know, and, and sometimes... You know, I have to point out, that's actually taken out of context. You're trying to justify your position, but you're taking that scripture out of context. Ultimately, you have to yield to the authority of God's word. If you call yourself a child of God and a Christ follower, you have to yield to that. And I've I've heard it. I've heard it still. Yeah, but, you know, it's kind of like a child, right? That wants his own way. It's like for a parent, you're, you're trying to reason with your son, your daughter, and you're working through, and you're like, okay, son, this is reality. This is what's happening here. And so, therefore, you should, it's like, yeah, dad, I know, but, right? And it's over and over again. It's, we shouldn't come to that place of, of uh, insisting on what we want and trying to manipulate scripture to justify our desires when it doesn't line up with God's will, right? Because people have told me, "Yeah, but I just don't like it." It's like, okay, well, then, then you know what? You're, you're you're not. Your opposition is not with me. I laid out scripture for you, and you're in opposition to God. It's not to me, so I'm not offended. I really am not. <laughs> But hey, listen, you're going to have to answer for now, now, rejecting the truth of God's word with full knowledge. That's a horrible place to be. So, this is what they were debating. This is what they were doing, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, Peter got up and he spoke. Are people made right with God through faith alone? Or is it a combination of faith and works? Perhaps salvation is known through the keeping of the law. All things that they were considering. You know, everything's on the table. So after a while of debating, Peter stood up, he spoke, and made a reference to what he had come to know. And he explained it to them very briefly, very succinctly, right? What God had revealed to him and really what they already knew. God makes no distinction among men regarding salvation and the giving of the Holy Spirit. In essence, he says, as you all know, their hearts are cleansed by faith and not by the keeping of the law. You know, if they really thought about it, they, they could come to the conclusion they understood. Nothing of what we've done, not following the law, has cleansed our very hearts. None of that. And to insist on anything more than what God has declared for salvation, he was describing as putting God to the test. We don't want to put God to the test. Requiring the Gentiles to observe something that's been impossible for the Jews to keep perfectly. He was, in other words, Peter, what Peter was doing, he was reasoning with them. Look, guys, you know, have you been able to keep the law perfectly? Because certainly I haven't. And, and so we're not justified by works. We're not just, justified by anything but by faith. No, Peter stated once more that God's salvation is through grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus. All are saved in this manner. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. See, so if... If we are given, sometimes we start in the spirit and then we want to finish it or conclude it in the flesh, you know, trying to work it out in in our own strength and power. You know, well, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote this letter to the Galatians. And so, uh, you know, we have the same issues today as they had back then. So Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So he was justified by faith. Before the circumcision. That's important chronologically for us to understand. Because Abraham was justified by his faith. And so those who come to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Are sons of Abraham. And so this is one of the things that the Apostle Peter was was bringing up. He was referring to. Because this is true then there is no need to submit to and keep the ceremonies found in the law of Moses in order to be saved and be right with God. So Christians are saved by faith and also purified by faith, cleansed, as we read. Turn with me also to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Again, just another area to reference that we are justified by faith, not by works. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. So it says here, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast. Uh, we, uh, you know, we're, we're very prideful people. And so if we had anything to do with our salvation, then we, we would readily boast. We would say, ah, you know, I, was, I did this and that, and so look what I did. Right? In fact, everything that we, we, uh, we have it has not been received, given to us. The Bible says everything, we can't even boast about what we have. We can't even boast about our jobs. Oh, oh, the talent that we have? Oh, no, not that either, because it's been given to us. Everything has been given to us, and therefore we ought to be good, humble stewards of that which we've been entrusted with all to the glory of God. But even this, we, we, we look to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and we know that we've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works lest any man should boast, the only thing we boast about is knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We know him in that way. And so after Peter spoke, the assembly fell silent. I, I, I love that picture because this was not... these were These were men who were very well versed in the law of Moses. They knew... The teachings of Jesus, and they all considered these things, and they just fell silent. Peter spoke just these few words, and everything was quiet. They were considering what Peter had said. They were willing to listen and consider what was just spoken. Now we'll continue in this chapter, hearing Paul and Barnabas's testimony and what James concludes with. Now, keep this in mind, and I'll. I'll Leave this to you. The one who was head over the local body at that moment, the authority there was not Peter. It was James. James, by the way, is the half brother of Jesus, uh, and so we th- this is this is who we're going to look at uh, next week, but. Um, Next week, we're going to see what James has to say in conclusion to the matter, and then how it is that they delivered this message to the Gentiles. But everything fell silent. The conclusion, the matter of salvation really needs to be addressed in our own lives. And I'm not, listen, the majority of you may have already come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Like at some point, you can look back. And say, you know, I, I not only uh, professed, I not only surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, but I've been a Christian now for many years. I mean, what does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with you. Because from there, we ought to have evidence of growth. You know, the Apostle Peter encourages us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus, when, you said, when he said that um, for, for us, we ought to abide in him, gives us the picture of as we abide in him, we not only grow, but we produce fruit that is in keeping with the salvation that we've come to know. So there, there must be some kind of production in our lives, some fruit, some advancement, something that demonstrates that we're growing in the Lord. And so salvation has everything to do with it. It's like every day living a life of repentance. And if we don't live a life of repentance and humility before a holy and righteous God, then what we're doing is we're building up our pride in in, in our trust in ourselves or in something else that at some point will fail. So salvation has everything to do with it. Consider your own salvation and work it out with fear and trembling. Consider yourself, consider the grace that you have been given, the very salvation that you have come to know. And how then shall we live? Should be all to the glory of God, for we are his poema, we are his workmanship. Because the verse right after 8, 9 is 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One last thing before we conclude, and that is I had uh, referenced Nicodemus and Jesus in their conversation. Nicodemus was a teacher of the people. In fact, Jesus told him, hey, you're asking me these questions and you should know. You should know. And I think Nicodemus just wanted confirmation. He wanted to know for himself. We know Nicodemus did come to salvation. He came to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and but he had this conversation. In fact, in that conversation, oftentimes we don't realize this, but it's in that conversation that we have that famous verse, the one that the whole world knows, John 3:16. If you back up to verse 14, it says in Moses, uh, Jesus speaking says and Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Belief, again, belief. He didn't say works. He didn't say adherence to the law. But belief, do you truly believe? And is there evidence in your life of that belief? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This was the question of Nicodemus when he came to Jesus. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So Jesus points out the way to eternal life, the way to forgiveness, and he also gives the warning or the very issue that prevents men from coming to the Lord. Because we know that as soon as the truth hits our lives, oh my goodness, people will know, right? Well, what what people? So we we, we kind of build these th- things up in, in our own minds. We think, oh, everyone's going to know, you know, like I'm, I, I am who I am. I've done all these things. Yeah, listen, number one is between you and the Lord. Number one, Right. It's just between you and the Lord. And as he works these things out in your life, once you come to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, he wants to work all that out to serve as a testimony of what he's delivered you from. And so, but if you love the world, if you love your sin, then you will remain where you're at. Because you have not fully understood the grace of God and the, the grace of God and the eternal life and the hope that he has for you, the glory that awaits you in Christ Jesus. You don't fully understand that. I believe that to be true. And so I want to close with this because this is where it comes down to. Have you truly not only confessed, but are you living out that salvation in your life? Is there fruit? And if you haven't come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ... have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? And this this is simply it. Do you believe that he is the son of God, that he came on this earth, lived a perfect life, died for your sins, was buried three days later, rose from the grave? Do you believe that which he has proclaimed and lived out in his own life, that do you believe in him as your savior, your Lord? And if so, the Bible says that you will be saved. I pray that you have come to, you will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord and Savior. For all else, let's produce that fruit in our lives that is fit for one who has been demonstrated love. And we know salvation in Christ. Father, we thank you, Lord, for it is Paul and Barnabas who were willing to go to great lengths to resolve, conclude, and for us to benefit from that conclusion with the church. May we all be united in this. This, this is not an inconsequential subject, not an issue that we can uh, discuss and conclude later. Lord, it's something that needs to be resolved here and now. And I pray that that is the very thing that takes place in our hearts and that we reflect that conclusion. And I pray, Father, that it's in the affirmative that we have come to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and learn to walk with you, to bless and glorify you, and live with great hope of the glory that awaits us in eternity. And so, Father, we commit the rest of the state to you. We ask your blessing, Father. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray.